When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. If you know or you are a current college student or a student preparing for college, this is a conversation you will not want to miss. And if you're a parent who has helped your teen through the college application process, then today's guest likely needs no introduction. I am beyond thrilled to welcome Jeff Salingo to the podcast. For those who may not know, Jeff is a well-known journalist and respected thought leader in the areas of higher education and the future of work. Through his newsletter, best-selling books, including the recent Who Gets In and Why, and his weekly podcast, Jeff continues to share important insights and experience for his audience. And today, that includes my audience, too. During our conversation, Jeff and I talk about the future of education and work and where change needs to occur. He also shares why skills are so important in addition to a college degree. And be sure to stick around to hear Jeff's advice for finding career-based active learning opportunities as a great alternative to internships. This interview is chock full of valuable advice, along with lots of actionable tips for current and soon-to-be college students. So let's get started. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm thrilled to have you. I have been reading your books and following you. I have get your newsletter. I follow you on LinkedIn and all the things um, because you are such a wealth of information, especially for someone like me, a parent with teens and college age kids who are trying to help them navigate the world we live in right now, which continues to be just ongoing and confusing. (laughs) Confusing. (laughs) I think people will use many other words for it too, but definitely confusing. Yeah. So before we get started, can you just give my audience just a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I've been in and around higher ed for more than 25 years. Most of that time was at the Chronicle of Higher Education, which is the trade magazine for college and university leaders and professors around the world. I was there for 16 years in a variety of roles. I reported on basically every issue in higher education, and then I was the editor of the Chronicle for four years. In 2013, I wrote my first book, College Unbound. It sold better than anybody expected, including me, which is always good. Uh, I wrote uh, another book after that called There's Life After College. And then in 2020, I wrote Who Gets In and Why a Year in uh, college admissions. Uh, since then, I've also, uh, as you mentioned, a newsletter. Uh, I, I publish a biweekly newsletter called Next. I co-host a podcast also called Future You. Um, and last but not least, I am a special advisor uh, to the president at Arizona State University. Yeah, 
That's a lot. And and you neglected <laughs> to mention that you're an actual best-selling author. So let's just <laughs> let's just add that in there. Well, you know, when you write a book about admissions, uh, it's it's although all the other books are bestsellers too, but a book about admissions, which is uh, the an editor once told me a uh, long time ago when I first published my first book, write a book about things that people are anxious about. Uh, and if you mm-hmm. walk into a bookstore, there'll be a lot of books on being a parent, on childbirth, on getting a job mm-hmm. and college admissions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And your journey. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what kind of high school student were you? And, and I mean, I know what you went to school for, what, to, what you went to college yeah. for. We get you, can you talk a little bit about your path? Yeah, so I um, I actually was not a great high school student. I was what they would call like a an average B student uh, these days. When I, I recently got out my report cards to show my middle school kids uh, what what life was like for me in, in middle school, and and actually it was worse than I remember <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and you know, but I, I grew also grew up in a place and at a time I graduated high school in 1991 at a time when people just didn't talk about college all the time. And I grew up in a place where only about half my high school graduating class in Northeastern Pennsylvania, even went to college. So, you know, there wasn't this buzz about, you know, applying to the right colleges and starting the college search. You know, the it was before the internet, um, the Common App was around, but it wasn't that popular. I, I basically petered out after three or four apps and ended up at Ithaca College, uh, where I'm now on the board of trustees uh, as a journalism major. And so it was a really different time when we think about college admissions compared to now. Yeah, that's how it was when I was in high school too. I mean, we applied to two, maybe three schools, if that, you know, nowadays I hear about kids applying to 14 schools and that's a lot. Um, So I'd like to talk to you today about the future of learning and work because that is top of mind for everybody. We know that the world is changing around us there's a lot of question about college or no college benefits versus college loans. Let's just put it that way. Um, And we'll talk about the value in the ROI later, but what are you seeing as far as what's going on both in the college world and in the work world and how those are sort of intertwined? It's, it's really interesting what's happening because we've thought for a very long time, essentially since, post-World War II, but especially starting in the 1960s and then with the death of manufacturing in the U.S. uh, in the early 80s, the early 80s recession, that college was really for everyone and was absolutely necessary in the workforce. And that's why, in large part, we saw huge increases in the college going rate, uh, particularly in the 80s. What's interesting to me now is that we keep talking about the demographic cliff, the you know, we're we're about to enter a period where the number of high school graduates in the U.S. is going to drop significantly starting in 2025. Well, we've been through demographic cliffs in the past. 1980 is, is one of them. And, and the big thing that happened then is not only did more a lot more women go to college uh, starting in in the 70s and, and 80s, but but more people just went to college, period. And, and now we're at a time when maybe 60, 70, 65 percent approximately of high school graduates go right on to college. And we've been kind of stuck at that number uh, for quite some time. And in fact, it's gone down a little bit um, during COVID. And what's interesting to me is that that's happening at the same time that in the job market, we're talking about the skills needed to keep up in any job are increasingly churning at a faster rate and that jobs are changing in a way where more education, not less education is going to be 
need it. And so we kind of have these two things happening at the same time where people are questioning college, college enrollment's going down, fewer people are going right from high school to college, where at the same time, we know that more education is going to be needed. And I think that's part of the disconnect right now. What does the word college mean? Or what does post high school education mean? For generations, it has meant largely a four-year bachelor's degree. Well, that's become very expensive, uh, not great outcomes for some students, meaning they don't always graduate or they don't always graduate with a job. And so I think what's happening now is that people are just questioning, are there other ways into the job market that don't go through a traditional residential four-year college? Yeah. And those are some of the topics that I explore through this podcast, like skills, upskilling, reskilling, trades, all the different roads in. But the data shows, right, and correct me if I'm wrong, that ultimately college grads will make more money. Might not be right away, but ultimately they will surpass everybody else who's who's who didn't go to college. Yeah, it's it's pretty um it's it's pretty stark in terms of a college degree being worth it, not just a college degree, but a four-year degree in particular. I just co-authored a paper that came out recently with Matt Singleman, who is a president of the Burning Glass Institute, where we looked at this very topic of the degree premium, the earnings premium of a bachelor's degree. And not only is it immediate uh, that you get that degree premium as soon as you finish the bachelor's degree over a, over a high school graduate, but it's pretty consistent over the time period that we looked at, which is essentially 12 years after you earn uh, the bachelor's degree. We looked at a cohort that graduated essentially 12 uh, years ago. But, but Betsy, what's really interesting to me is that as we dug further into the data, it's not just the degree alone. The degree alone will give you something. But the degree plus, there are three things, essentially, if you stack on top of the degree. One is selectivity matters. Uh, you know, the more selective institution you go to, the more top-ranked institution you go to, the better you return on the investment of that bachelor's degree. It's probably why, you know, applications are through the roof at more selective institutions right now. Uh, second is something we also have known for a while, major matters, right? So students who major in STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, uh, more practical degrees are also going to make more money over their lifetime. Again, not surprising. And it's one of the reasons why Many students are kind of fleeing the humanities majors right now. But there's a third piece that I think that we found that I find the most fascinating is that actually you could control for those other things. Those selectivity, you could actually do better at a less selective college and in a non-STEM major if you have one thing, and that is skills. Um, and the skills obviously matter depending on what job you have, but skills matter a lot. Uh, so I think increasingly what employers are questioning is whether the degree itself is the proxy for success in the job market, or it's really, what do you know how to do? And what do you know how to do because of the courses you took in college, the internships you have, the research projects you did, whatever it might be, that skills matter more. And, and that's the interesting thing to me, because you can get those skills in a variety of different places, not just at a four-year college. And I think that's what, if, if skills are now the coin of the realm, in many ways, that's what colleges are, are competing against. And are you seeing 
Are you seeing a, a shift in higher ed where more skills are being delivered versus a for lack of a better word, traditional college education? Yeah, I think we're seeing a shift in, in two ways. One is you're seeing a, a number of colleges, uh, the Alamo Colleges District in, in Texas, uh, University of Texas System, uh, uh, the University of Colorado at Boulder. Uh, you're seeing a, a, you know, a handful of colleges now who are embedding badges or micro-credentials with their bachelor's degree to say that students know how to do X. Now, that X could be something very industry specific, right? You have AWS certification or Salesforce certification, or it could be more of a broad job skill. You know how to give a presentation, you know how to manage people, you know how to do project management, something like that. So we're seeing that on on one side. But what you're also seeing is a movement now towards helping students translate the skills they're already getting. I think part of the problem, and I've written about this in my newsletter before, Mm -hmm. is we have a little bit of a translation problem in higher ed. In other words, higher ed talks about learning outcomes. So if you go and talk to a professor and they'll tell you about their course and they'll even give you a syllabus and they'll say, here are my learning outcomes. Well, higher ed is the only people that talk about learning outcomes, right? You don't, you don't go to a job interview and say, these were the learning outcomes of, you know, <laughs> of you know uh, Econ 101. They're going to want to know, what do you know how to do? That's a skill. So skills and learning outcomes, they're, they're related, but they're not exactly the same thing. And I think one of the things that higher ed is starting to move toward, they're not there yet, is to help students, because at the age of 18, it's really hard, or 22, it's really hard for students to translate what they've learned in Econ 101 or whatever course that is to the job skills that employers are looking for. And I think that's the movement we're starting to see. So you may not actually need a certificate. You may actually have the skill. It actually might be embedded in that bachelor's degree. You as a 22-year-old just don't know how to talk about it in a job interview. And that's where the the disconnect often is. So for parents who are listening with kids who are entering college or already in college, is there a way to sort of identify that up front? Like when you're looking at schools, and I know it's, it's just, we're sort of headed in that direction. We're not there yet, but is there a way to sort of single out those schools that are doing a good job of clarifying what those skills might be so it's easier for the graduate to be able to translate that? I, I wish it were. I, I mean, you're laughing yeah, at me. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing laughing because no. <laughs> this is, you know, this is the problem in higher ed in general, right? We, mm-hmm. there's a lot we don't know about this good that we're buying and spending a lot of money on. It's not just around skills, right. by the way, like, are we, am I going to complete this degree, right? How much is it going to cost me? Am I going to be safe there? There's all these things that we don't really know about college before we buy it. I guess if I were looking for something though, I would really look at where does the career services office sit? How important is it? How essential is it to the university? How much do they embed career planning and services and ideas into the undergraduate curriculum? I'll give you one example, the probably the most Famous school on this front is Wake Forest University, which embeds career services from the moment that you're at orientation, first year, into the freshman year curriculum through four years of college. They personalize it based on your major. It is part and parcel of the undergraduate experience. That's very different than a lot of colleges, which basically say, well, you're on your own kid until you know second semester, senior year, and you know come to the career center office then and, and get help. Again, colleges are moving in this direction. I think the theme here is colleges are very slow to react to the market. Um, you know, 
uh, Wake Forest was doing this 10, 12 years ago, and, and people are just now starting to follow them. But that's what I would be looking for if I'm a parent or a student, is how central is the career services office to everything that the university does? How much do they talk about career services in, when you go visit campuses? Um, how much do the faculty talk about it? Because I think the other thing that happens on a lot of campuses is faculty just don't think it's their job to get students a job. And so you want to see how do faculty talk about career services as well. That's great advice. And I I talk to college kids all the time. And, you know, half the time you hear, what? There's a career services office? <laughs> and part that's partly on them, let's be honest. Um, but also, yeah, there's a career service office in the basement. You know, Way off in the person. corner of campus that you'll never know it's there. Right. And yeah. they have no time yeah. because they're serving all these students. And or that- I get it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, you know, how you serve an engineering major, very different from an accounting major, very different from an English major. That's the, I think that's the key because again, as I said earlier, the payoff of the bachelor's degree depends on a couple of things, including your major. So how much help are they giving to a liberal arts major who may be really well sought after in the job market? You know, somebody with a history degree or an English degree, but they just don't know how to talk about it and how to sell themselves to, to employers. And we'll be right back after a quick break. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. In that paper that you wrote with Matt Sigelman, you talked about foundational skills and specialized skills. Is that the same paper? Yep, that's the same paper. Okay. Um, Can you talk about the two and how they're different and why they're important? So foundational skills uh, tend to be um, more broadly applicable, uh, where specialized skills tend to be very specific and are usually concentrated within certain jobs. So think of of the job skill that you need to know to do a certain job, like, you know, data analytics, because you're a business business major, as opposed to something like leadership or negotiation. So we looked at about 10 broad skills, these foundational skills that uh, both deliver a wage premium, um, have breadth to them, meaning you could find them in multiple careers, not just in one field, and are growing because the last thing you wanted to do is focus on a skill in college in your freshman year that by the time you graduate your senior year, nobody really wants. And, and so some of the things that we looked at are like influencing skills, program management, negotiation, leadership, mentorship, presentations, forecasting, budgeting. These are skills that uh, employers are looking for. They're looking for across a range of industries and jobs um, that they, de- if you have it, that they deliver a wage premium and that these are skills that are growing in what people are asking um, asking for. So some specialized skills might be things like Amazon Web Services, right? It might be 
uh, risk management or technical writing or things like that. Now, those are more specific to certain degrees. And the thing, though, is if you have some of those things in a different degree field, if you have very specific job skills that may be rare in that field, that also helps um, helps you. So for let me give you uh, an example of this. If you're a liberal arts uh, major, right, and you have analytics experience, uh, that is going to be very valuable to you because if you're a history major, an English major, and you know how to manipulate data, uh, you're going to be much more valuable as an English major or as a history major than, than somebody without that skill would have. So what the things that you want as an incoming student to college is you want those broad foundational skills I was talking about, right? Negotiation and given presentations. Then you want to kind of look around and say, huh, what are the specific job skills that might separate me out from everybody else? Uh, and because I have that skill, I'm going to be more valuable in the job market. Hmm. So if I'm a liberal arts major, I should look at electives that might be more skills or spe- specialized skills related that I can put on my resume. So when I come out of college, I have those that those differentiators. It's a great idea. The other thing is either a minor or a major. But by the way, don't pick the same minor or major that everyone else in your major is picking. Pick a different one, right? So double majors are very popular now. So that's why I say another major Mm -hmm. or a minor. But if everyone in uh, history is picking political science as a minor, don't pick that. Pick business as a minor uh, or pick a foreign language as a minor or pick data analytics as a minor. I I keep mentioning data analytics because it is one of the fastest uh, growing skills out there to me. Data analytics is like uh, what computer coding was 10 years ago and what a foreign language was 40 years ago. Uh, It's just, it's a great power skill to have. That's what I would be looking for if I'm an incoming student is, again, complementary skills and to what you already know, right? So you don't want to pick another humanities thing, right? You want to pick something that is really going to be complementary to what you're already doing. Um, what your your primary major is. And again, try to be different than everybody else and pick something that no one else is picking. This is so helpful. Really, really great advice. Um, and speaking of skills, you published a, a graph, a circle graph, like a wheel, yep. um, where you talked about the most in-demand skills and there's a mix of tech and human skills. Do you want to talk a little bit about that graph as well? And was that from the, did that come out of the same report? Uh, it came out of a different report, but it also comes from Burning Glass uh, as well. And okay. that's available on my on my website, jeffsalingo.com. And what I think was interesting about that is that it was a mixture of kind of soft skills or people skills, uh, business skills, and technology skills. And when I look at that wheel and I look at those skills, one of the first things I notice is that you're not really going to get that in any major. And that is, I think, an important distinction for parents and students out there. The second question that most people are asked when people find out they're a senior in high school and that they're going to college is the first question they get is, where are you going? And the second question they're going to get is, what are you going to major in? We put so much pressure on the major, but the thing with the major is that it is designed for the discipline. Um, so disciplines you know, throughout the you know hundreds and hundreds of years of, of world history have tried to organize themselves into 
uh, into a body of knowledge, right? So that's the discipline of, of, of whatever it might be, of engineering or so forth. And then colleges kind of copied those because they needed a way to organize their faculty. So we needed a history department. We need an English department. We need a philosophy department. So often then they said, okay, well, those are our majors. We have a discipline. We now have a department. That's what we're going to have students major in. And to be honest with you, for a long time, that worked. But the world doesn't silo itself in that way, right? Most jobs today, like that wheel, have skills that cross disciplines. And and so as a, a result, when you look at that skill set, the thing you come away with is that no major is perfect, right? There's no one major that's going to get you a job. So no matter where you go, um, make sure that you think about a double major, which is pretty hard for a lot of students. It's a lot of work, so that may not be possible. But think about minors or multiple minors. Colleges have been very good about uh, figuring that out in terms of helping students get those minors. Think about individual courses that you could take outside of a minor or another major that would give you the skill uh, that you you need. But the bottom line of that wheel is, if you look at around it, is it is incredibly cross-disciplinary. And, and that is critical. Don't go to college thinking, I'm just going to major in this. I'm going to spend all my time in that department. I'm going to spend all my time in that school and I'll get a job at the end of the day. Because the more time you spend across disciplines, across departments, across schools, the better off you're going to be. I love that advice. And I'm wondering if that kind of encouragement happens, you know, during freshman advising. No, I'm not so sure it does. I mean, <laughs> it, it I haven't witnessed it. And, and, and I think part of it is, is that, um, you know, advising sometimes is done by the schools uh, or done by the department that you're majoring in. And I think that most faculty members really don't understand what's happening in other departments or other schools beyond their own. Um, you know, and so and I also think that advising is meant to get you through school. But we don't think we when we talk about student success, which is a big topic right now in, in higher ed, mm-hmm. we think about graduation. We think about retention and graduation. We want to make retention, sure the student right? comes back. They should call it the student retention office. Yes, because that's really exactly what it's about. student success to me is did the student th- you know graduate and thrive afterwards? They don't think often about the job. They think about getting them to mm-hmm. commencement, and then that's it. The handoff is somebody else's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know we you talk a lot about making the bachelor's degree more valuable, both while you're in school and after. Um, but I think to your point there, if there's not a career advising or a career success office on the campus, then it's up to the students to find external resources to help them. Yeah. And, and I think that most students don't know how to do that right now. If you're, if your parents are well connected, if your multiple, you know, if your parents and grandparents went to college, you know, and and you you know that part of your job in college is to be looking for a job, and that's if your parents are pushing you mm-hmm. and things like that. I don't think most, I think most parents when they're writing a large check to colleges think those colleges are going to are are going to help their students get a job, and that's just not the case. I think that students have to be much more advocates for themselves and and really take this on. So other ways for students to be finding their way to a job while in college, internships, um, apprenticeships. You actually 
made a recent visit to Switzerland, right? Yeah. And I've actually read about the apprenticeship model over there. Um, can you share some of that? Yeah, it's a great model. I mean, in Switzerland, uh, you know, they they really start to focus on job-based learning, on career-based learning much earlier. Uh, you, you don't go to college as, as, as long. Um, and in many cases, you don't go to college at all. You go right into the workforce and learn how to be a social media manager. You learn how to be uh, an accountant kind of on the job. I, I like that model. It's very hard to scale in a, in a place like the U.S., uh, it also requires a lot more career planning earlier in high school or earlier in middle school in some cases. And there is a little bit of a tracking element to it where they kind of tell you you're going to be, you know, you're you're ready made to be a doctor or you're ready made to be an accountant and, and stuff like that. So that there is, but, but I think the critical piece of this is that there is job-based learning in um, you know, in in high school and college there, and I, I wish that we had more of that. Now, does that all have to come through internships? Not necessarily. I hosted a, a webinar on this issue uh, recently, and and what was interesting to me was the discussion around you know career based learning that goes beyond internships because that's the first thing we think of, right? Internships or work. Uh, that's the only way people are going to get career skills. And one of the things that the people on this webinar talked about was that getting those in the classroom. So, you know, the old style of teaching where the professor's at the front of the room and just lecturing, you're not going to get many skills in that place. But what if, what if there was more active learning so that students can watch things in advance and come to class ready to discuss them? They have to do a lot more presentations. They have to argue their, their points of view. Uh, they have to independently you know, read and, and, and look at content and then come to class ready to discuss it. Those are all skills that are very useful in the job market as well on the job. Um, so there's a lot more things that colleges can do that go beyond just having an internship, for example. Are there any doing that? Who's doing it well? Um, who's doing it well? Um, every college, I will say, has really moved to this idea of active learning um, and, and where, where students are not just sitting there listening to a professor talk. So everybody's doing it well. Does everybody get a hundred percent on it? No, not the case. So are there any other trends that you're seeing related to skills-based learning, credentials, certificates, non-college paths, anything that students, whether they're again in high school or college should be looking at or investigating that might help bring more value to their, their years in college? No, I, I think the biggest trend is colleges and universities, liberal arts colleges, state universities, a mixture of them, looking at um, and already doing, embedding these uh, skill-based credentials in the degree and or looking for other ways to give students these skills and call them out in a way. So not just to say, you know, we embed these skills in the bachelor's degree, right? The ability to communicate, the ability to write, the ability to problem solve, project management, whatever it might be, whatever the skill might be. But those schools that are actively saying, okay, we're going to offer you courses, you're going to be able to get badges in these things, uh, or we're going to enable you to talk about them in a way and write about them, or you're going to be able to take short courses. They might not give you any credit for them. They might not give you that badge, but they will give you uh, they will give you access to courses outside of the curriculum at the school to learn, for example, something like project management, which is you know, demanded for in a lot of jobs, but schools don't actively teach it. 
but what if they offered you like an online course that you could take? Um, or maybe they offer a course at the university and you could get a badge for it. That's what I would be looking for. Yeah. I, I look at college kids' resumes. I mean, it's part of what I do. And, you know, they, they can all write communication, collaboration, you know, all the those general skills. But that's no different than the 600 resumes next to them going for the same job. So to your point, if there's something more specific, more tangible, more measurable that they can use to market themselves, that would be ideal. It's all about differentiation, right? It's about differentiation about getting into college. Uh, and it's also about differentiation after college, right? Like how, you know, so some of that is about the major itself, right? It's why certain majors are easier to get jobs than other majors. But no matter what your major is, if you could look different to the hiring manager on the other side, because of an internship you had, because of a badge you have, because of a micro-credential you have, that is helpful to you to stand out in a pile yeah, of resumes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been, I, I could talk to you for a really long time, but I want to be <laughs> mindful of your time. But I do want to talk just briefly about your most recent book, Who Gets In and Why, because I read so many books. This one I just think is so helpful to parents who are shopping colleges with their kids. The whole do you want to talk just briefly about the book and the the whole um theory behind buyers and sellers because that I thought was incredibly helpful. So the book came about because I as I mentioned earlier, I wrote a book called There's Life After College uh in 2016. And when I went to talk to parents about that, which was really about what you, a lot of what we talked about today in terms of what you need to do in college to succeed after college, everybody just wanted to know how to get in. And so I realized there's probably a need for some sort of book about getting in and about admissions. And so I wanted to go inside the admissions process. I wanted people to understand that it is an ecosystem. It's an industry. It's a huge industry, a big business. Um, and that it's not this meritocracy that we seem to think it is. It's not fair. Um, and it's not, um, uh, it's not this like emotional rite of passage that most parents think it is. It is a business. It's not fair. And, um, and I wanted to show kind of the cutthroat nature of it, uh, at the selective colleges and the very business-like aspect of it overall in terms of the marketing, uh, that they spend on, on students. You asked about buyers and sellers, uh, in particular. And, and one of the things that I realized, so I, for the book, I embedded myself in three admissions offices and, and read applications for with them. I also followed three students. And in following the students um, that I chose, the seniors in high school, and, and as well as other students that I followed that year, not just the three I profiled in the book, I came to realize that many of them applied to college colleges based on academic fit and social fit, but they didn't necessarily apply to them on financial fit because much like getting in financial aid is a black box at colleges and, and universities. And they would come to their counseling office uh, in April when they got all their acceptances. And they would say, I got into fill in the blank, and but I didn't get any aid and I really needed it. And so what I came to realize is that there are a group of colleges out there, about 50 or 60 that are sellers, meaning that they have something to sell. They, are, they have a, a, a great brand name. Uh, these are the most selective colleges in the, in the U.S., uh, and they're inundated with applications. And as a result, they don't really need to buy students. They could basically put all of their financial aid to need-based financial aid, which is great. If you qualify for need-based financial aid, 
they're going to be really generous with you. But if you're right above that cutoff, uh, and you might say, well, I still need some help. You're not going to get much of it from them because again, all of their money is put towards need-based aid as they define it. Meanwhile, there's all these schools out there that are trying to buy students and there's nothing negative about this. It's not supposed to be a pejorative term. It's really, in many cases, many of these buyers have great undergraduate, uh, programs. It's just that they like Macy's have to give you a coupon to get you in the door to buy one thing because they want you to look around. And it's the same thing with these colleges. They want you, they want to give you $5,000 because they know you're going to bring 25 other thousand dollars with you, whether that's through a loan or whatever, obviously more than that. But, um, but that's what they're trying to do. So they're trying to buy students with merit aid. And I wanted students to understand this, not in April when it's too late, but when they're starting the college search process, so that they're, they knew that there's some colleges out there that are buyers, some colleges that are sellers, and, and I should kind of make sure that my list is, uh, is, is mixed up, right, is, is, is balanced, I should say, uh, so that I am applying to a set of buyers and sellers. And more than anything, and I've heard you talk about this too, it's about fit, right? I mean, so many people get hung up on the name of the school or where it is or whatever the factor might be that is interesting them or interesting to them. But at the end of the day, if it's not a good fit, it won't matter. Right. Uh, And I think that, again, we have to balance this fit across three dimensions, academic fit, uh, am I going to fit in here academically? You know, is it, are these my people academically, social fit and financial fit? And I sometimes think we balance those. Mm-hmm. They're out of balance sometimes. I think we focus on one at the exclusion of the other. Yeah. Oh, this has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you so much. So before we go though, uh, can you just talk about where people can find and follow? Yeah, great. Um, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, uh, jeffsalingo.com is my website. Uh, you can contact me there. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Jay Salingo. Uh, Jeff Salingo on LinkedIn, where I write frequently. You can also get my newsletter on LinkedIn or subscribe to it. It's called Next. Uh, free subscription. It comes in your inbox about every other week. Uh, Future You podcast is my podcast it's called Future You. Uh, that comes out every week. I co-host it with Michael Horn. Uh, and we kind of cover a bunch of topics related to the future of, of higher education. Michael Horn's been on the podcast as well. And that was a great conversation too. Yeah, is uh, you know, Michael knows a lot about K through 12. I know a lot about higher ed. He also knows yeah. a lot about higher ed. Uh, so I think we complement each other as we think about the future of you as a learner, but also the future of the university. Awesome. I will put all those links in the show notes. Thanks again for being here. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Betsy. As a parent of a college freshman and one possible future college student, I found my conversation with Jeff to be incredibly helpful. It's no secret that college is a huge investment and getting more expensive every year. All the more reason to try to squeeze every last drop of value out of our investment. Whether majoring in STEM, English, philosophy, or something else, Students should be identifying where and how they can gain skills while still in college that will complement their education and that will make them more marketable upon graduation. There is so much focus on where to go to college and what to major in, 
but very little discussion about what to do once you get there to ensure career success after graduation. It's all about skills and differentiation. The majority of employers still want the degree, but they also want people, business, and technology skills. With that in mind, every college student should be considering what they can be doing to gain as much value from their time in college as possible. But students can't do it all on their own. Higher ed establishments must help students translate the skills that they are gaining while in college to what the job market is looking for, because that is the value that will make a difference, and that is what will help students stand out among their fellow graduates. Enormous thanks to Jeff Salingo for being my guest today, and huge thanks to you for listening. Conversations like this one filled with excellent advice and actionable tips are exactly why I do this podcast. I hope you're finding it valuable as well. All links and references mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com. I'd love it if you would connect with me on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have a minute, please give me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's it for now. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green.